And welcome to Leadership Redefined. Uh, we have uh, our, our special guest here, Terry Early. Terry, welcome. And of course, Anthony and Rich uh, are here as well. And my uh, partners in crime here. Uh, Terry, I'll let you uh, introduce yourself and we'll get a little get into a little bit about uh, leadership, your leadership style and, and some other interesting uh, topics that we discussed offline, but I think are going to be interesting uh, to hear for our audience. So welcome, Terry. Great. Thank you, Al. Appreciate it. And Rich and Anthony, good to see you guys again. Uh, my name is Terry Early. Um, I have been a, uh, in the K-12 field for 31 years. I started out in 1976 as a teacher of social studies. I taught grades 7, 8, and 9, and that's when I met Dr. Richard Bernardo, who was just Mr. Bernardo at the time, and I was Mr. Early at the time. We were both just young bucks teaching. Um, and actually, Richie, even back then, was being very innovative and doing simulations and things like that, which were really great for our so us social studies teachers. I was also a coach uh, for different sports. I was a class advisor. And then in 19, I think it was 85, I moved over from what was then Peconic Street Junior High School, now known as Ronkonkoma Middle School, to the other end of the district to Oakdale Bohemia Junior High School, where I became dean of students, and I spent 22 years there as dean of students, assistant principal, and principal. Along the way, in that journey, I, uh, I earned my doctorate from uh, my PhD from NYU. I was also an adjunct assistant professor at Dowling College, now defunct Dowling. It wasn't me. Don't blame me. I left before they, they went out of business. Uh, yeah, maybe it was Richie's. Maybe it was Richie's. Richie worked there, too. And I also worked at, over at St. John's when they had a um, satellite site at the Old LaSalle Military Academy off of Montauk Highway. I retired in 2007 as principal of Oakdale Bohemia Middle School. We made the transition from junior high to middle school. Uh, I retired for a weekend. I retired on a Friday. And that Monday in 2007, I started working full-time for Stony Brook University. Um, I was the assessment coordinator for 10, 11 years working with all the teacher ed programs and ed leadership programs. And then about two and a half years ago, I became the director of all the different programs that we have that deal with teacher certification and the um, AGC in um, ed leadership. And uh, hence, I'm here. Now, also, just a, a little state of fact, I think, I don't think Richie would, would argue with this, but I think I was Richie's inspiration for getting his doctorate because um, I got mine before Richie. And Richie said, wow, he goes, that guy could get his doctorate. Anybody can get his doctorate. So I think Richie went ahead and got his doctorate. I think I was his inspiration, though. I never charged him a fee or anything, but I think so. You were my inspiration in many ways. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. <laughs> so, Terry, I think like us here, you have this unique experience. Not, not every, every, A lot of people are either in K-12 or in higher ed. They may dip their toe a little bit in one or the other, um, if that. Uh, so you have really unique experience, specifically in leadership. So I'd love to hear a little bit on your leadership style overall um, and maybe a juxtaposition of leadership in K-12 versus higher ed. Are there any differences? Have you evolved as you come into higher ed? Those, those kind of things. I'd love to hear from you. You know, I, I don't see any difference in leadership, uh, leadership styles, no matter what level you're on. Um, I always thought it was, I used the three C's. Um, <clears throat> collaborate, commit, and then communicate, or collaborate, communicate, and commit. Um, 
I, I really think you have to collaborate with you, your staff, your faculty, no matter what level you're on. Um, I think you need to be the guy who makes, or the woman, who makes the decision in the end. But if you think you have all the answers, you're definitely wrong. And that's why you need the conversation and the, the uh, communication from your colleagues. And I truly call them colleagues because they are. Um, and then, of course, they have a stake in it as well. So I think when you go out to, let's say, produce program A, you may know exactly what you want to do. And you may know the path you want to go down to get there. But you know what? If you talk to people, you collaborate with people, you ask them their advice, what do they think about it? They're going to come up with ideas you never thought of. They're going to come up with stumbling blocks you never thought of. So in the end, maybe that 100% down that path is tweaked a little bit. and There's a couple of turns. And maybe you come up with 90 to 95% of what you really wanted to do. And you modified certain things based upon the input of your colleagues. And then you've come to a conclusion. And then you commit to that, you know, whatever that is, you're going to do what the program is. In the interim, the people that, you're, that really you need to really implement the program have been intimately involved. Asked, you asked their advice and gave their input. So they're really on board. Um, the, the old top-down type of leadership that was probably in the 40s and the 50s and probably leaked into the 60s uh, is long gone, um, particularly with education. You know, when you think about the fact that our staffs are well and highly educated professionals, um, you need to hear their voices. You also need to know, I am a true believer <clears throat> that all of education, what really is important, happens in a classroom and with a teacher. So you could be a leader and you could say, we're going to do X. And if the person in the classroom doesn't believe in X, when they close that door and go into the classroom and teach the kids, guess what? They're not doing X. Or if they're doing X, they're doing X half-heartedly. The kids know it or whatever it's going to be. And it's not going to be that successful. That's why you really need everybody on board as much as possible. And in the end, though, you make the decision. You know, it's your responsibility to make that decision. But in this case, you have people that come on board. Um, Al, I don't see that any different in the college level. Um, you know, I work with eight different directors and a whole bunch of faculty members, all, again, highly educated, highly experienced, and usually know more than I do in any one given time. So uh, it has to be a collaborative, communicative process. Um, I don't see any difference. I probably, you know, you probably get the same thing in corporate education as well, or corporate life as well. Um, leadership is leadership that way. Um, I don't think you see very many top-down uh, education, uh, leadership programs that really work anymore, or people that, that do that, unless they're just so dynamic, they create a cult. <laughs> you know, um, I don't think that's going to work. So that's my, my theory, basically. It's pretty simple, you know. Uh, Rich, Anthony, uh, questions for Terry? Rich, you're muted, Rich. I know. Uh, Terry, I, I have a million questions I'd like to ask you, believe it or not. But the one thing I, and, and the one thing I've been, I was thinking about as I knew you were coming on today, and given your present role, uh, is you know, the challenges of what you're trying, with, of, of all the different leadership positions you have insofar as developing teachers and leaders uh, for, and I know that it's, it's becoming a hackneyed phrase already, uh, already uh, a post-COVID world and the extent to which 
or how good we are, not necessarily Stony Brook, but in general, high red is at in anticipating the necessities to prepare teachers and leaders to be effective in a, in a world that they didn't necessarily live through back 20 years ago. Yeah, I, it's the, I believe it's the dedication and the passion in the field itself. Uh, most, if not all, you know, I mean, it's life's a bell curve, right? So in, in, the, in the meat of the bell curve within those one or two standard deviations, you will have most of the teachers that lie and they have to some varying degree, a great deal of passion to some passion and vocation for what they do. <clears throat> They're there for the children. So that motivates them to make changes sometimes that you might not get if you're in another corporate type of job where you don't have the same type of association with the product that you're producing, et cetera. In our case, we're dealing with children. We're dealing with someone's most important resource. We're dealing with our civilization. So I think you will find usually for the most part, you know, for the var varying, but for the most part, people who are very dedicated and will go out of their way to change. And this COVID situation, you know, you basically saw that, you know, teachers who were at home uh, teaching on the fly, learning as they, you know, they, they started working on this stuff, with some of them never dreamed of doing, um, didn't make excuses, had their own kids at home at the same time. Um, and yet they really pretty much got through it. Um, I think it's, it's what, it's the kind of person that's attracted into education that gives us that kind of advantage, if you will, and leaders as well. Because um, we do have a mission. I always said, you know, if you come into education, you think you have a job, leave. You have to have a vocation. You have to have a passion for what you do. You're dealing with children. And if children can't, you know, they're going to make you laugh and they're going to make you cry. You know, um, that, that's, that's just the way it is. And if they don't make you laugh and they don't make you cry, then your heart's not really in it. You're not really going to be a great teacher. Um, so I think we have that advantage, Rich. And I think most of the kids that come into our programs are, you know, have somewhat of a calling, not to be corny, but sense that calling. And again, to a varying degree, you know, some are going to be spectacular just as natural people, just like they're natural athletes. There are some that just take to the art and the science of teaching, right? There's two components to teaching, just like there is to leadership. There's an art to it and there's a science to it. And we can always teach the science, you know, this is how you manage a classroom. This is how you write a unit lesson plan. And then there's the art of teaching, you know, how do you engage a child to something that's almost innate? You know, some people know better than others. Someone comes in the room, your antenna goes up. I think they're off a little bit. They look a little sad. They look a little disturbed. That's hard to teach, but you can at least make people aware of it. And there are those that are just instinctually do that. So when you get that teacher that's both, you know, has the science and all the tools in the toolbox plus the empathy, and the art of teaching, that's when you have, you know, a great teacher. And I, I think by the nature of who comes into our profession, um, you know, it, it's easier for us to do that, uh, easier us to prepare them. Um, heck, you know, the younger teachers have taught a lot to the older teachers recently. And we've seen that with the COVID situation. We've had so many comments from our cooperating teachers about, thank, thank God Joey was here. Thank God Joan was here because they really taught me how to use this application or how to do this on Zoom, you know, and, and it was a combination and a, a cooperation and a collaboration of, of this new teaching. So um, I think with leadership, what we have to do is we have to always make sure 
that our teachers, no matter where they're at um, in their career, they're still trying to learn, improve, and get better. That's the kind of teacher you want. Terry, um, do you, does that happen? I'm, I'm curious, um, in your role or in your circles with uh, leadership prep programs, uh, does, does it happen organically to sort of have them try to shift their mindset post-COVID? Um, is it embedded in the curriculum? Is it is this something that has to be done actively or is it just organically happening because uh, people see what's out in front of them and they know that there needs to be change or both? I'm just curious, like your, your perspective on it, what you're seeing out there um, and how that change actually occurs, because it has to occur somehow, some way for us to be successful in education. I'm curious. Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, it's some of, some of it's organic and some of it's kids come into class and they've already looked at certain applications. They've already practiced them and they actually teach us, you know, and there are other ones who do not. And you have to obviously expose them to that, facilitate their learning and doing those things, get the right people in that know how to do those things. Um, it's, it's definitely a combination of both, uh, Al, um, without a doubt. Um, it just doesn't happen. You know, to some kids, it doesn't, it does happen. Look, it's, I always related to, <clears throat> Um, I, I, I'll say acting, and I know it's going to show my age, but, you know, somebody like Al Pacino, there were a hundred actors that went into the same workshop that Al Pacino went into and, and was taught the same thing. Exit right, emote left, cry here, do this, right? But then there is Al Pacino, and no one taught Al Pacino to be Al Pacino. He's Al Pacino. That's why he's a great actor. In education, you have the same thing. You have a, a large group of teachers who can teach scientifically all right, accurately, very well, and are very good. And that's what they learn through our programs. And then there are those that are just special, right? Like an Al Pacino, and you don't know why or how that happened. And they're just the ones that come into the classroom and they become the Pied Pipers, if you will, the people that we all remember, right? You know, we all go back to our own, you know, educational days and we can say, I can remember Mr. So-and-so, Mr. Gibson, in my case, the Valley Stream South, Everybody loved Mr. Gibson. You know, that was an A. That was organic. Um, but it is a combination of both. You have to do both, without a doubt. Anthony? Yeah, thanks for all that, Terry. I can't agree with you more. You, know, I, I, you use the word simple in terms of your leadership philosophy. And, and, and I think it is simple, but I think it's more common sense. And it seems to me that that is a missing element in, in two in two ways. One, um, with people as you describe in terms of passion toward their profession, toward the job, towards leadership. But I think also, um, you know, in, in terms of how we teach leadership and, um, you know, and it's really piggybacks on Al's question is whether this thing happens organically. And one of the things I always love to ask my, my classes is, you know, the, the early SBL classes is, you know, are leaders made or, or are they um, born? And I still think that's a, a very relevant question. And, and, um, and I just want to ask you, because you have such a broad experience, what do you think is missing in our leadership programs? And maybe even our teacher, lead, you know, teacher programs. Um, well, I mean, I don't think I'd say it's a deficit. I can see it actually adding to um, getting more experience. You know, it, experience is a wonderful teacher. Mm. Um, I can remember the first day I, I was a dean of students, someone called me up, uh, something, some irate parent, and they threatened to sue me 
and called their lawyer. And I, my face dropped to the floor. My, I turned white and, you know, I, I was about ready to go home and cry, you know, and then by, you know, when I, uh, within 15, 20 years of being an administrator, when someone kind of threatened you with being, you know, suing you or something, you know, it was like, oh, come on, really? <laughs> nah, we don't want to do that, do we? You know, and you had a whole shtick about, you know, what, what was going to happen and this and that. And, you know, experience is a wonderful uh, teacher. Um, I wish we had the kids had more time in the classroom. Um, you know, New York State's changing. I was on the, uh, the clinical practice committee for New York State. Um, New York State is going to in 2023. It was 2022, but they changed to 2023 because of COVID. They're going to a full 75 days of student teaching. Uh, unfortunately for, New, for us in the SUNY schools, that's nothing new. That's what we did anyway. But for some schools, it's going to be a dramatic change because they did the 40 days. And some of them didn't even do full days. Um, now it has to be full days, 75 days as of 2023. Again, for somebody like Stony Brook, we already do that in the rest of our SUNY schools. But I would like even more than that. I would like kids to start out in the classroom. The way our program is, there are some programs that do that. And I think that's great. Our program, because our kids are getting a content level degree, really don't enter the classroom until their last thing that they do. Right. And um, while we're very successful, you know, you hate to see that kid who just goes into student teaching at the last at the last thing they're doing before they graduate and they figure out this is not for me. That's that's horrible. Right. Yes. It happens once in a while. I'm not going to lie. It happens once in sure. a while. I would love to have them start teaching earlier, be more active in the schools, have stronger partnerships with our school. district. We have some wonderful partnerships within our Long Island school districts. But as you all know, Long Island is a very unique animal. We have 124 school districts. So, you know, it's very difficult to, like some of my colleagues, they come from a regional area where there's a regional BOCES and everything goes through that. And if, if BOCES says X, then everybody does X. Here we have 124 school districts. And if one says X, the other says Y, the other says Z, you don't even know how you're placing kids, quite frankly. There's nothing uniform about it. So we have to kind of, you know, tread through that territory a little bit. But I would like to have stronger emphasis on experience. I always thought, and think about it yourself. And if you're a K-12 teacher, I know Rich again, Richie and I were, that's oh, when I learned to student teach, right? When I went to student learned teach, to teach in the I, you know, that was it. All the methods, yeah. courses and all that. When you actually got in front of the little kids, all the kids, right? That's when you learn to student teach. That's when you learn to teach. Right. Um, I would like to see more of that. And with ed leadership, you know, we do that. You know, everybody's working in ed leadership, right? So it's very difficult for them to have a normal type day of an administrator. They fill in on their off periods. They do things after school. They do things on the weekends. It's just not the same as when you sit down and close your door and you go, oh, I'm the dean. Oh, I'm the assistant principal. Here it goes, right? I would like to see more of that. I don't know how we do that. I don't think we really can. Um, but that's what I would like, Anthony. I would like to see more experience um, mixed in with the actual programs that we have. I mean, that, that makes great sense. I mean, we've talked about many years doing something similar to how they train doctors. You know? Yeah. Well, I always thought I've been, I've been a big advocate of the fact that I think our student teachers should be paid mm -hmm. um, very much like a doctor gets paid in a residency. Exactly. Um, very much like a plumber gets paid as an apprentice. Exactly. You know, you don't have to give them a full teacher salary, but these kids are working five days a week. Mm -hmm. uh, in the end, they're taking over usually the five classes, right. you know, and some of these kids in order to get through school have to work. 
And we virtually tell them, you know, as student, as student teachers, you can't. It's virtually impossible to do. And a lot of kids, that's a very, very tough thing to do for a whole semester. So I agree with you 100%. I look at it at a much more professional level that they should be paid to student teach. Yes. Uh, it should be a residency, if you will. Some programs have some, some something similar. Bank Street has a, a program similar to that. Yes, they do, um, yes. The vast majority of programs do not. Um, so, you know, that's, but again, that's, again, moving the mountain, right? Could you imagine yeah. going up to New York <laughs> State and saying, I need a hundred hundred million dollars a year because we're going to pay all these, you know, and I haven't figured out the number. I don't know what the number is, but you know, a hundred million dollars a year to pay student teachers. And they're going to look at you like, you know, excuse me, you know, and what planet do we live on? You know, but who knows, maybe someday. Yeah. You know. So Terry, we're, we're actually, believe it or not, close to time already. I know we had a few things you wanted to discuss and love to have you on again to continue the conversation. Um, uh, Closing thoughts uh, from Anthony, Rich, and then uh, Terry. We'll we'll let you have the last last say here. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I think a lot of people can learn from your experience, wealth of experience in this space, um, and can learn from further conversations we can have around this and other things. I know you're interested in. Uh, you mentioned news literacy uh, uh, as well. We can talk about that uh, on an upcoming podcast too. Uh, Rich, thoughts from you, Anthony, and then we'll let uh, Terry have the last word. Rich, you're muted. Rich? You were out after a minute. Okay. <laughs> Terry, uh, first of all, I appreciate that you were able to come on, and, and I appreciate the uh, um, just who, who you are, not as Terry, so, believe it or not, as, as much as the kinds of experiences you bring from two ends of the, of the world, so to speak, and uh, and then bring it, uh, bring it back to who we are as a whole with W, because I very much appreciate, I always have, but I always very much appreciate how you frame things. You have a way of framing uh, very complex issues. And the, the complexity, to come back to Anthony's question about creating uh, leaders for the 21st century, again, in quotes, or teachers for that matter, uh, is something a lot of people have have lots of opinions about, but the way you frame it, you, you actually you simplify it in the sense that we really know what what the purpose is, which oh by the way is kids, and and I think that that's uh, believe it or not that's refreshing, uh, and I and I like the way you do that, and I like the way you, that you speak to the, the at the same time the complexity of uh, your your own jobs uh, necessities to uh, make that simple piece work. So thanks a lot. And I look forward to talking about those other things you mentioned off camera because I, they, I have some strong opinions along the same lines you do. So we should have some fun with that. Thank you. Appreciate it, Rich. Thank you very much. Anthony? I mean, I just want to reiterate you know, and piggyback off of what, what Rich is saying. You use the word passion two or three times, you know, and I can always remember, you know, as a superintendent in the hiring process, the one thing I wanted to discern from a candidate, were they passionate about their jobs and did they love kids? Because you're right, the rest of it we could take care of. You know, we can provide the experiences to learn how to be a competent, capable teacher. And, you know, I, 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 I'm a perennial optimist to hope that so many of the students who do come into to teaching have that passion. But I think we need that passion more than even before. Um, because we have very complex problems and complex issues uh, to deal with. And 
a lot of which have been, you know, shown through the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, the inequities and, and the need to change methodology and pedagogy and, and make it more student-centered. I mean, we really need passionate people. I don't know how we, I don't know how we cultivate that, <laughs> but I certainly believe that, that this profession, as you so aptly said, needs more passionate people. Thanks, Terry, for coming on. I appreciate it. And Terry, the last 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 thought from you, Terry. Not to put you on the spot, but go <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I, I I appreciate it. I appreciate the conversation. Um, uh, I think sometimes I see us. <clears throat> sometimes the old war horses that we are, you know, we've been through a lot, and sometimes we're actually uh, we have stuff that's meaningful. Sometimes, you know, um, and I appreciate what Rich said. You know, sometimes we get lost in the technicalities of things. And now the technology of things, no disrespect, Al, and how great, how great you are in technology, you know. Um, and we, sometimes we, we lose sight of what we're still dealing with, which is, and I was taught, I had some great mentors um, along the way. And I was taught because leadership is so complex. They said, in the end, you do what's in the best interest of the kids. And that was like the mantra. And certainly politics come into that. And certainly you have to compromise here and there. I'm so I don't want to be Pollyanna about it because everybody had to do a dance once in a while and, you know, compromise here and there. But if you keep that kind of thought in your head, what's in the best interest of the kids, I guarantee you that vast majority of the times you're going to come out on the right end of the decision and in the end really help kids, you know, and um, I think that's what we have to how do we train kids like that, Anthony? I'm not exactly sure. You know, uh, you know, there's no magic, you know, book or anything else. I think, but um, I, I think that's what we have to try to convey to our students that we have now and our leaders that we have now. You know, um, that's why you're here. You're here to help the ki the kids, the children, um, and everything else. Then kind of falls into place. Like I said, not being Pollyanna about it, there will be times you do compromise. Obviously, um, I'm Anthony. I'm sure as a superintendent. You can smile about that because, you know, that's just the nature of the beast, you know. Um, so uh, it's an interesting, without a doubt, profession. I mean, you know, we've all been in it for how long, guys? You know, 40-something years or whatever? Can't be all bad, right? Has to be pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah, our collective experience here is uh, uh, close to probably 200 years. It's, it's no, a lot. Writing. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, thank you again, Terry. Love to have you on again. I know. Uh, you wanted to uh, talk about a couple of things. We'll surely have you on again. We can talk about the other topics too. Um, thank you so much. And it was really a pleasure having you on and getting you on and uh, to the show. All right. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. I appreciate the conversation. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, Terry.